we can hear the word of God to Acts chapter 13. We got as far as last week, uh, Paul being invited to speak in the synagogue. Acts chapter 13 and verse 13. Um, we're going to hear the word of God in a moment. Acts 13, 13. And uh, as was a custom then in, in the synagogue, and Paul was a trained rabbi, he was asked, do you have anything to say to us? And uh, Paul got up to the, I don't know if it was quite a pulpit, and he, and he motioned with his hand. And obviously was thinking to himself, have I got good news to bring to you. And we're going to hear of this good news that he preached in Antioch, Pisidia, which is actually a Galatian city. Not the only one they preached in. So we're going to hear the word of God first, Acts chapter 13 and verse 13 uh, through to 42. And what you're hearing is a, it's not a verbatim uh, summary of everything Paul said, but a, a summary of what he preached in that synagogue on that day. So let's hear the word of God. Um, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. As he promised, before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, 
nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who would come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the, uh, the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he, whom God raised up, did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what it is said in the prophet should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Well, what a blessing to preach from this this morning. I've got to say for myself, if there's 
anything that I love doing is preaching the word of God. And what a setup this morning we have. The sermon that Paul preached to the Galatians. And who did he preach to? Well, it was a synagogue. But did he notice in the word of God, it twice tells us, Paul, that he's preaching to the brothers in the synagogue. In other words, the people who are Jews by lineage, but also those who fear God. They were not Jews. They were people like Cornelius. They were, they were God-fearers. They, they had respect for something of the Jewish religion, and they feared God, but they were not Jews. So there was a mixed congregation, but primarily Jews in the synagogue in Antioch, Pisidia. And as we've heard, Paul has the opportunity, you know, do you have anything to say? And he then motions with his hand, we don't uh, know exactly where he was speaking from, motions with his hand and, and, and then begins to bring the good news. And what an opportunity. These people had never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. And so we're going to take a look at what he preaches and... I'm going to announce to you in a moment the first heading for us. I'm not going to give you all the headings. I'm going to keep us on the edge of our seats a bit this morning. But the first heading is this. That the red scriptures are not enough. The red scriptures are not enough. Not enough to be saved and to go to heaven. Because here we see in the word of God that we find in verse 15... After the reading from the law, this is in the synagogue, after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement. And then we find in verse 27, as Paul is preaching the word of God, he reminds them in the synagogue on that particular day, and he says, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath. They had the word of God read every Sabbath. Every single week the word of God was read, and yet they still did not understand the gospel and believe in Jesus. So the first heading is that the, the scriptures read are not enough. Not enough for what? not enough for us to be saved, not enough for us, us to have our sins forgiven, not enough for us to be cleansed through the blood of Jesus. And so that's the first heading for us. This, the red scriptures are not enough. But let me just stop for a moment to us, though, because we need to ask ourselves some questions, don't we? What kind of questions should we be asking? Hopefully going to be asking ourselves... How can we go to church every week? And Pastor Kevin always has a reading for us. And if we go to the church down the road that's seeking to be faithful to the Lord, that that church also will devote itself to the reading of the Word of God. And furthermore, to preaching that comes out from the Word of God. So some Christians think, well, you know, all traditions, they're just rubbish. We, we don't have tradition in this church, but... There's no such thing as a gathering of people that do not have traditions. And some traditions are absolutely biblical traditions. And the public reading of the Word of God is an absolute essential part of public worship. Would you agree with that? 
you imagine coming here and, and we wouldn't really read the Word of God? Have you ever been in a church service, professing church service, and either the Word of God is not read or almost nothing of the Word of God was read? There's a, there's a holiness, isn't there, to the reading of the Word of God. Why? Well, the reading of the Word of God is the one time in the service when we actually hear uh, the voice of God through Scripture speaking to us all directly. Whew. Directly. Now, why do we hear the voice of God speaking to us directly? The reason is, is that God's given us the Scripture because it is impossible for anybody to see God and live. And one of the wonderful things about heaven is we will see God live and hear God as well. If you ever meet somebody and they say, you know, I've had a busy week, but on Tuesday night I was taken to heaven and met Jesus, you know for sure from now on that they didn't meet Jesus, not if they're still alive. Um, because no one can see God and live on this side. And some Christians, they say, well, I, 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 I want to hear the voice of God. And, and one pastor turned around to that Christian and said, if you want to hear the voice of God, you can hear the voice of God. And their ears prick up. Well, well how? And, and this pastor responded and said, if you want to hear the voice of God, then you simply open the Bible and there God will be speaking to you. But this particular professing Christian was not happy with that response. Uh, and they said, but I, I want to hear the, the vocal word of God. And the pastor, well, we can solve that problem for you as well. The next time, if you want to hear the voice of God, and you want to hear the voice of God vocally, he said, well, read the Bible, but read it out loud. And that's the vocal voice of God. But often people like that, they're not happy. They want to have private revelations. They want to have their own hotline to God. And we don't need it. God guides us. God leads us. But regarding his speech, we have the whole of the word of God for us. And so the beginning, really, of this sermon is that the scriptures that are read are not enough. Because did you notice there in verse 27, it says, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, that's Jesus, nor understand the utterances of the prophets about the future promise of Jesus, the Son of God, to come. And those scriptures are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him, and though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. So though we would contend now from this pattern that as part of our worship, we, we must have a significant part of our worship with the scriptures that are read. And our pattern generally is to have something from both testaments. So we have a balanced diet. But what we need to realize is that the scriptures read are not enough. And there we see examples here. They had the scriptures read every week, and yet not only was it not enough to save them, because remember Jesus said to a man who also who had the scriptures read every week, and you know his name, Nicodemus. And what did Jesus say to him? Unless you are born again, Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. 
And furthermore, these people that Paul is writing to, he says that there were people in Jerusalem and Judea, they had the scriptures read every week, and yet they only didn't get saved. They actually still then went away and actually were part of the plot for Jesus to be crucified. So the scriptures on themselves, you could hear them, but not really hear them, and actually end up as a total enemy of God. You say, well, it's a sunny day today. I've come to this chapel, and uh, I actually was feeling pretty downcast when I walked up the hill to come here. And I've got to say, I'm not feeling very edified what I'm hearing at the moment. But let's get to our second heading. The scriptures that are read pub publicly are not enough. But our second heading from Paul's sermon is this, is that the gospel is enough. The gospel is enough. What's another word for gospel? It's good news. And so here we are now, worshipping God and hearing now about the good news that Paul is going to bring this congregation to. You could be in many places today, but God has brought you to hear the good news. You may say, well, I'm a Christian. I don't need the good news. Listen, we all need to keep hearing this good news. In fact, if you are a Christian, you just relish in this good news. It's like, I just can't get enough of it. So let's take a look at our second heading, that the gospel is enough. And in verse uh, 28, uh, let's get there, first of all, because Paul brings them to this point. He says, And though they found in Jesus no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to this people. Verse 32, and Paul says, And we bring you now the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. Now notice also in verse 23, he began to introduce the subject, which you want to get everyone to, and he began to, <coughs> excuse me, in verse 23, he says, going back earlier on in the sermon, for the first time, he doesn't start off with Jesus, but in verse 23 he says, of this man's offspring God has brought to Israel a saviour, Jesus. And you can never present the gospel if you don't present Jesus. You can never present the gospel if you don't tell people about the name of Jesus. But let's just think about this audience. They were well versed in the history of, of Israel and of the scriptures. And not every audience is as well taught as these people were. So we need to understand when we're presenting the gospel that we need to be wise in how we're presenting it. Let me give you an example. I could leave here today and think, I, I feel an urge to do uh, some preaching publicly, and I could say, well, I'm, 
I'm going to go and I'm going to stand outside Sheffield train station. And as they're coming out the state train station on this Sunday afternoon, doing this and the other, I'm going I'm to suck it to them. I'm going to tell them. I'm going to tell them if they carry on doing what they're doing, they're all going to go to hell. And I even pat myself on the back and say, you, you know, you really told them, Kevin, those, those football fans, they needed to hear that. But did they hear much? What did they hear? Because the content of the message can't just be brought into a vacuum. We need to know where people are at. And so here, Paul is preaching and he's, and he's building up the story because we don't have a contentless message, but the message of the gospel, we need to preach to the intellect, to people's minds. I'm not saying it's academic intellectualism, but we need to reason the truth. We need to explain to people, not only proclaim, but explain. The gospel needs explanation. But at some stage, we have got to introduce where we're going to get to, which is Jesus Christ. Because without him, we do not have a gospel. I'm sure you would agree. Without Jesus, we can never be saved. His is the name that is above every name. So at some stage, we've got to introduce Jesus, but we may not start off immediately with Jesus. Have you ever been to the general practitioner and you've asked the doctor, uh, well, the doctor actually will ask you and say, well, well, why have you come? He doesn't just say, you know, lovely to see you today, Kevin, and... Uh, just give me a prescription and say, take three of those a day and see in a couple of months if it doesn't work. He doesn't give you a prescription until he finds out what the problem is. And likewise, the problem is always the same with human beings. The problem is sin. But the problem also is we don't often know of our sin. And we often don't know of the consequences of our sin. And if we die in our sin, we'll be judged by God. We often don't even know that. And so we need to explain to people before we give them the prescription to the problem of sin. And the prescription is Jesus Christ and his gospel. And specifically we see here that the gospel is enough. Because Paul brings them to the point of the mountaintop of redemption. And what is that? It's two things in particular. It's that Jesus died on the cross, but just as much he was raised from the dead. There are two sides to this gospel coin. I'm not an expert on coins, and I don't think any of us are, are we? But I've never come across a coin that doesn't have two sides to it, have you? Uh, the two sides give it value. And likewise in the gospel, uh, the gospel coin has two sides. The death of Jesus, but also that Jesus was raised from the dead. And that's exactly what we get here, isn't it? In verse 29, he says, And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree, that's the place of death, and laid him in a tomb. That's one side of the coin. But this coin would be valueless if we just had one side. But look at the other side of the coin in verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. 
Hallelujah. I am preaching this morning a living Savior, and his name is Jesus. I'm preaching someone who's alive and never to die again. I'm not preaching some dead message. I'm not Paul, but I could, I could wave my hand and say, have I got good news for you and I? Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead. And my faith is in him. And one day I'm going to see him face to face. So we need to bring this good news to people. That's the core of the message. On the one side of the coin, he was on the tree and crucified. The, the other side of the coin, he's not there anymore. He's been raised from the dead. And there's a clue. Raised and then from the dead. You can't be raised if you've not been dead. And he didn't just come back to life either, you know. It wasn't that uh, the doctors rushed into the empty tomb and after three days did CPR and brought him back to life and he was just in a coma. Some people might say that. He wasn't in a coma. I mean, how could you even escape out, out from a tomb uh, with the door closed? He was raised from the dead. And in fact, the body that was on the tomb was not there anymore because that body had been transformed by the power of God. And so he was given a, a body that was, was eternal, immortal, would never perish. I mean, I just don't understand. I'm not, I'm not going to go much further beyond my ability, but what I do know is that there were times when he could just appear in a room, like in John 20, the room was locked. The room was locked. And the trembling disciples were there, and Jesus suddenly appears. And there's another occasion when he, he actually eats food with them. And he, and he says, touch me, uh, touch me. And he says, this body does not have flesh and blood, but flesh and bone. It was a resurrected body, but he could eat. And it's a glorious thing that he wasn't just brought back to life. He was resurrected with a whole new body. And those who believe in Jesus, they will receive new bodies also what a gospel you know I'm 56 and I've got to say I couldn't have preached that with the same passion experientially I think when I was 26 I would have said look you know it's not so exciting about a new body because you know I'm feeling pretty strong but over the years the aches and the pains begin to build up is, is it just me but I think maybe you have that as well but it's more than just the aches and pains heaven will be a world without sin heaven will be a world without death heaven will be a world without pain and sorrow why because Jesus has been raised from the dead and so our third and last heading is Paul now applying this message and that's where we'll close now applying this message just two verses uh, Paul says this he says he applies this gospel message which is our third heading which is this in verse 38 the third heading is through Jesus is forgiveness of sins through Jesus is forgiveness of sins do you like preaching well Paul was preaching he wasn't mumbling he wasn't you know kind of you know Paul before anything else Paul was a preacher he was an apostle he was a teacher but before anything else he was a preacher and that's why we need the gospel to be preached and in verse 38 what do we learn 
we're going to finish off here. He finishes off his sermon, more or less, and he says this. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. What a climax. We've run out of time, but he then gives them a warning if they reject this message. But I'm going to just focus in closing on this third heading. Through Jesus is forgiveness of sins. So it's not enough to simply hear the word of God read. It's not enough to simply hear the gospel preached. But we then need to respond and put our faith in Jesus Christ to ask for the forgiveness of sins. What a promise. Have you thought about that? Forgiveness of sins. We don't hear always lots about that phrase, do we? Forgiveness of sins. But actually the phrase forgiveness of sins summarizes the deepest need of the human heart and condition. Have your sins been forgiven? Have you now, as we're thinking about this of forgiveness of sins, have you ever called upon the name of Jesus for your sins to be forgiven because for you to be led to Christ you need to hear the good news but you need to do something that nobody else can do for you is that you personally would call upon God in the name of Jesus but and specifically for your sins to be forgiven you're only going to ask for that if you recognize that you're a sinner oh now I'm going to explain that and that our sins are a barrier between us and God. If you say, well, listen, Paul, I've heard this sermon, but don't start telling me I'm a sinner. Don't you realize I've been in the synagogue since I was circumcised on the eighth day, and now you're coming along saying to me, I'm a sinner. Whoa, 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 whoa. That person's not going to be a candidate to be saved with an attitude like that. Would you agree? You've got to be prepared to ask God to forgive you for your sins. And it's not just sin, it's sins. Aren't we thankful this morning that, that though we're in the presence of God, that God doesn't get a projector this morning and say that he wants to go through each individual and show everyone our sins. Could you imagine how humiliating that would be for all of us? Lies, it could be adultery, and then the next person and their sins are put up. It would just be absolutely crushing, wouldn't it? But we are all sinners. And the good news is, is that God puts his arms out to us as he did to them through Paul and says, come to Jesus for the forgiveness of of sins. It's just wonderful, isn't it? It's wonderful. It's such good news that through the gospel, 
And someone says, because when I, when I really first was soundly converted, the pastor said to me, I want you to ask the Lord to forgive your sins. And I, you know what I said? I said to the pastor, I don't know how to pray. And maybe you're in that position this morning that you're listening to his message, but you're thinking your heart might be aching. Thinking, I really want to go home today, and I want, I want to ask God to forgive me my sins, but I don't know how to pray. But the pastor said to me, well, just use your own words. I didn't even know he could pray out loud. And so in my head, I asked the Lord to forgive me my sins. And God hears the faintest whisper. He's not waiting for someone to come with some great theology. Oh dear Heavenly Father, here I am. I've heard the message this morning. I was most struck by the preacher's preaching. And therefore I come before you and ask for this forgiveness of sin. Now someone may be doing that sincerely. But what I'm saying is, is that God hears the faintest whisper. And I hope that you would be like Joshua. As for me and my house, I'll serve the Lord. That you would come to Christ for the forgiveness of sins. But sometimes when we actually come before the Lord and we ask him to forgive us our sins, um, it takes a little bit of a while, maybe a few weeks, a few months, for some even a few years, for the penny to drop. And by that I mean to have this assurance that God really has heard you, that it says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So for me, I, I actually found myself I kept on praying the same prayer. I kept on praying. It was like a, a round and round and round. I thought, well, I want to make sure, Lord, forgive my sins again. And uh, if a preacher was there preaching, I'd, I'd go up to him and talk to him and say, I want to have my sins forgiven. I don't know how many preachers have heard me say that. And I was forgiven the first time. And we are forgiven the first time when we genuinely call upon the name of the Lord. We have a faithful God. And so this message that Paul preached has been preached this morning. And let us never, as we come to a close, may we never make light of the phrase, the forgiveness of sins. That's the summary of the gospel and our need. The forgiveness of sins. And in conclusion, the gospel has now entered into Galatia. And people have believed the gospel. And that gospel can never be taken back and stuffed into the bottle. No, the gospel has gone forth. And blessed is the man or woman who hears the gospel in 2021 or 22 or 23. And we want to keep hearing the gospel. It's not a case of, there's a new person here this morning. I hope the preacher will preach the gospel. Now, we don't preach the gospel because there's a new person here. We want the gospel every week because that is our meat and drink. It's not that we keep needing to be saved again, but we keep needing to be reminded of this good news and these gospel promises and the sweetness of the name of Jesus, the certainty of his death, the certainty of his resurrection, the certainty of the promises. 
that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.